Welcome to episode 87 of Behind the Mission, a show that sparks conversation with SciComer trusted partners and educational experts. My name is Dwayne France, and each week I'll be having conversations with podcast guests that will equip you with tools and resources to effectively engage with and support military service members, veterans, and their families. You can find the show on your podcast player of choice or by going to psychomer.org forward slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us on Behind the Mission. Our work and mission are supported by generous partnerships and sponsors who also believe that education changes lives. This show is brought to you by PsychArmor, the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military culture content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners as well as custom training options for organizations. On today's episode, I'm having a conversation with Dr. Aaron Fletcher, the Warrior Care Network Director for the Wounded Warrior Project. Aaron has over 15 years of mental health experience working with adults in a variety of treatment settings. In her role, Aaron collaborates with the four academic medical centers that comprise the Wounded Warrior Partnership's Warrior Care Network to foster network alignment regarding program implementation and delivery. You can find out more about Aaron by checking out her bio on our show notes. So let's get into my conversation with her and come back afterwards to talk about some of the key points. So glad to bring the Wounded Warrior Project back on the show, and I'm a huge fan of the work that you're doing in mental health and wellness. But before we get into that, I'd like to give listeners an opportunity to hear about why you've been doing this work with WWP for almost the last 10 years. Oh, absolutely. It's great to be here. I'm glad to engage in this conversation. What brought me into working with veterans? I've been a practitioner in the mental health field for, oh gosh, probably about 15 years so far. Worked in a variety of treatment settings, almost exclusively with adults with dual diagnoses, so a mental health condition and a substance use disorder. And I was fortunate enough during my graduate training to complete a training year at a VA here in Chicago. And that really certainly sparked my interest and passion for working with veterans. And I, you know, will joke with some of the warriors that I've worked with that, you know, I wasn't brave enough myself to serve. And so this is really my way of giving back and doing my best to honor the sacrifices that veterans and active duty service members have made. You know, that's something I think that a lot of people who serve know that the VA is like the largest healthcare system, but something they don't realize is the VA is one of the largest teaching hospitals, teaching systems. Many clinicians, especially at the PhD level, get their start at the VA, perhaps not having had exposure to military service before that, like yourself. But once they get in the VA, this can really develop into a passion for them. Oh, absolutely. And that's exactly where it started for me and some of the best training that I was able, I think, to receive throughout my career. And that really gave me a great foundation in military cultural competence and really recognizing the importance of that. As a practitioner in, in whatever field, you can say, I don't have to have you know a broken arm to know that it hurts. But having an understanding of that background or what individuals might have gone through to be helpful, I think, is so important. And having that sense of competence, knowing the acronyms, being able to know the language of the military, 
really helps build that rapport. It really helps build that relationship with those that you work with that is really so important to the healing process. It was an incredible experience for me, for sure. And I can also imagine being 15 years ago, that was at the height of the beginning of some of the hardest and most challenging. You had the first, maybe the second wave of combat veterans coming back. There was surging in Iraq and Afghanistan sort of at that time. That had to be thrown in the deep end of the pool almost, working with some very heavy things. It was. And that kind of surge, as they were coming back, you could just feel it in the halls of the hospital and just what what have these folks been through and how can we be here right at this kind of transition point when they're coming back? We know transition points are scary and can be dangerous. And so we want to be there and provide that support and provide resources. Yeah, it was it was an interesting time. And then transitioning to the Wounded Warrior Project. So, you know, about the last 10 years, you've gotten into the Wounded Warrior Project. Coming from that clinical care space, and really the Wounded Warrior Project has emerged as a long-term support organization, especially for post-9-11 veterans. Absolutely. And coming into Wounded Warrior Project, I think one of the greatest assets that Wounded Warrior Project has is the comprehensive approach that we as an organization take to the health and wellness of the veterans that we serve. And as prior to Wounded Warrior Project, a diehard practicing clinician that was using evidence-based care, you know, in typical individual or group sessions, using those gold standards of treatment, prolonged exposure, cognitive processing therapy, those models coming into Wounded Warrior Project and seeing how having a whole program dedicated to social connectedness is so helpful. How Wounded Warrior Project addresses the physical health and wellness of the individual, how they're addressing the financial wellness, and even how Wounded Warrior Project addresses mental health. Wounded Warrior Project does not directly provide clinical services. We partner with a number of great organizations that we can talk about, but we also deliver mental health-based programs that are therapeutic in nature, not direct therapy, but therapeutic. And before I was able to see that, it's just, it's not something that we were, that I was necessarily taught in school. And it was not something that I'd I'd practiced, but seeing that comprehensive nature and how you can approach things in different ways has just been incredible. No, I absolutely agree. As we mentioned before we started talking, my clinical background, I saw the same thing. I have a colleague actually, he used to say that his job was to wipe the mud off the pig, but then the pig would just go back into the pigsty and get dirty again, right? So what more can we do? And I think really, especially at that time, and even now, as we've seen, as we're talking about this, we know that September is Suicide Prevention Month. And that's a topic that's very important to many of us who work and support service members, veterans, and their families. As a clinician yourself and working at the Wounded Warrior Project, this is a topic that you're dedicated to addressing. Oh, absolutely. The suicide, any person that dies by suicide, one is too many. And we certainly want to raise a voice around suicide prevention in September and really every day. And I think that's, again, a really unique aspect of Wounded Warrior Project that we, in whatever team you work on at Wounded Warrior Project, if it's the physical health and wellness team, if it's our financial wellness team or our mental health and wellness team, everything we do relates back to suicide prevention. We're looking to increase resiliency. We're looking to improve your overall psychological well-being. We want you to feel connected to your community. We want to reduce that sense of isolation 
We want there to be a conversation about the invisible wounds of war the same way and at the same frequency and comfort that we talk about the physical injuries. And I think that's something that Wounded Warrior Project is especially committed to, is bringing the invisible wounds right on par with the physical wounds. Oh, I absolutely agree. I often describe, people say, you know, how do we solve a service member, veteran, military, family suicide? It's not the problem to be solved. It's a lagging indicator of other unsolved problems that are below the surface. Yes, some of those life stressors like justice involvement and financial stress and employment and things like that, which Wounded Warrior Project does, but also, like you said, the psychological stressors are those things that that could lead to someone having a suicidal crisis. Absolutely. And I think really looking at how This isn't just, and so it probably sounds like I'm going to talk out of both sides of my face right now, that certainly there's a large mental health component to somebody struggling with suicidal thoughts. But the solution and that responsibility isn't only answered with a mental health solution. And I think that's when we can can frame it that way, that that's a really empowering message, is that even without your full-on degree in the mental health field, that being willing to ask the question to somebody, well, first, to know the signs and symptoms of somebody that's struggling with thoughts of suicide, to know that, to, to know what to look for, and then to be willing to ask the question to that person very directly, are you thinking about killing yourself? And then knowing where to send that person. You don't have to be that individual's therapist. You don't have to feel like I can't have that conversation because I didn't go to school for that. Um, and that's really something that we're, that Wind Warrior Project is training people on, is knowing the signs and symptoms, how to ask the question, and where to get that individual who's struggling connected to the professionals that can provide the care that's needed. But there's a lot that can be done in between kind of point A, the struggle, and in point C, seeking treatment. And that's really something that Wind Warrior Project is committed to. No, I think that's a really great point. And I would say even maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you may not have heard clinicians say that, to say that that it's not a mental health struggle. I think that, and again, this is something that I've often said, is I, as a clinician, I don't have all the answers because if we as an industry had it, the problem would be solved by now. In the same way as the community programs, let's say we can't just make sure a veteran has a good job and a good house. It has to be an integrated solution. Absolutely. And engaging in the conversation, this really suicide, particularly in the veteran community, this is an all hands on deck model at this point. There is no one solution. Like you said, if there was, gosh, I hope we'd be giving it away. I hope, I hope that it would be, that it would be out there, but right now it's not. And I think that it can be very empowering to know that Joe citizen can do something to help. And I think that when people read about suicide, which you know, I mentioned is certainly a tragedy within the veteran community, but this is a human problem Uh, and it can be a human solution and that there is something that we can do. That, That sense of helplessness and powerlessness is really, I get it, very uncomfortable and nobody likes to feel that way. But with some training, you can have an impact, a positive impact, and hopefully stand between somebody who's struggling. And I think the other piece, the other message, and you mentioned it earlier, though, is that we know that those conditions that are underlying the reason why someone gets into a crisis, we know how to treat those. We know that if someone is struggling with post-traumatic stress disorder, that there are, like you said, gold standard treatments, or if someone has TBI or someone even has moral injury or lack of purpose, that there are clinically and evidence-based 
the solutions to be able to treat those conditions. Absolutely. And that's the hopeful part of this message. And so if we can increase the conversation around suicide and suicide prevention, knowing that there are those gold standards that are out there. And there's organizations like Wounded Warrior Project who want to help and that want to be that resource. We can take it from there. Somebody's struggling. You ask the question, there are resources out there and there's treatment that works. We just got to get you connected. But we don't know if somebody's struggling unless you ask. Got to ask the question. Yeah, I've always described it as a continuum of support. You and I, and even maybe even farther clinicians who are working Mm -hmm. in an inpatient setting in immediate crisis, we're not the ones that are necessarily need to be there. Like I, I can, uh, I can keep myself from going to a cardiologist by practicing good heart health, right? I don't need the cardiologist to listen to my heartbeat all the time. We need the cardiologist. We need the clinicians to be able to be available to treat the more severe conditions if we refer to it that way. But then others can learn some of that. And we talk about mental health first aid, but some of those non-clinical small T therapeutic things you were talking about can exist as part of a continuum. And then if it gets to be too much for someone who just needs somebody to talk to, now I can get them to a clinician. That continuum piece is so important. And again, certainly something that Wounded Warrior Project offers this continuum of, if we're going to speak specifically about mental health support, ranging from being able to help get folks connected to those more intensive inpatient treatment programs that real crisis intervention, and then looking to kind of step down from that. Or perhaps, you know, we have a lot of veterans that start on the other end of that continuum, the less intensive, they're just looking to dip their toe in a little bit. You know, we have our Wounded Warrior Project talk program that is our weekly telephonic emotional support calls. Again, small t therapeutic, not individual therapy, but it's a way to increase some accountability. It's a way to explore some goal setting to get some support. And maybe it's in those conversations that the veteran has with their Wounded Warrior Project talk specialist where they realize, you know, I am struggling a little bit more. Maybe I do need a referral to an outpatient clinical therapist and we can help there. And then perhaps they start in therapy with their individual provider and they realize one hour a week of therapy isn't enough. And that's where Wounded Warrior Project's Warrior Care Network comes into play. This is two weeks of intensive outpatient mental health treatment using, again, these gold standards of care to address the invisible wounds, to address post-traumatic stress disorder, traumatic brain injury, military sexual trauma, substance use disorders. So there's a variety of entrance points, I think, is it, that's important to remember. There's really no wrong door to get into care. Um, and there's options and we know that it works. And I think the thing that, that I've always valued about the Warrior Care Network is it can be dialed up or turned down as quickly as it needs to be, right? You know, if, if someone, if all I need is to be reconnected with my fellow veterans and have some high point adventures, then Project Odyssey. And if Project Odyssey is the only thing I need, then that's great. I get a couple of weeks in the mountains and the, throughout the year, and then that's fine. But also the individuals there who are working with Project Odyssey can tell or train, like you mm-hmm. mentioned, to say, hey, there's something more here. And you can dial up fairly quickly because it is part of a network. It's not a bunch of disjointed individuals who don't know what comes next. Right. And I think that's really one of the key aspects here. And certainly, as you mentioned, if it's whatever door you come in at Wounded Warrior Project, if it's that adventure-based workshop through Project Odyssey, where you've engaged in really some self-awareness and realizing, well, I do think I need something a little bit higher. We can get you into Warrior Care Network, that two-week model of intensive treatment, and even 
that is very tailored to that individual. There's, we certainly know what treatments kind of work to address post-traumatic stress disorder and traumatic brain injury, but it's still not a cookie cutter approach. We still want that to be individualized to the unique needs of each veteran that goes through, veteran or service member that goes through. And we really want to be able to, again, address that whole person. This isn't going to be eight hours a day of talking about the absolute worst thing that ever happened to you in your military career. So be part of that. It's going to be a fair amount of that. And there's going to be mindfulness and meditation training. There's going to be, again, a physical health and wellness component. You're going through this treatment in a cohort. So you're surrounded, you have that camaraderie, you're surrounded by people with similar experiences, which we know is crucial to the healing process. There's equine therapy, there's art therapy, there's ways to get at learning coping skills to address these mental health challenges. Again, in a holistic, comprehensive, individualized way. And I think one thing that you mentioned, and just to maybe footstomp that point, is in a safe way, right? In a safe environment, I used to tell my clients is there's nothing that's going to happen in this room that's worse than what you think is going on in your head. This is a safe place for us to be able to unpack this, to come to terms with it. And we know all the brain science to put things back together so that your life can be better after all this. And I think that fear of the worst thing that is going to continue to happen to me is one thing that keeps a lot of veterans from reaching out, especially for clinical help. Absolutely. Because our minds do a great job, particularly individuals that have experienced some trauma that, oh man, if I were to let this all out, I don't know that I could be put back together again. I'm barely hanging on right now. And so if I were to like peel all that tape away, that's trying to hold myself together, it's very scary and very overwhelming. And you think, oh God, I really, I don't know if I should take the chance to not be able to be put back together again. But the beauty of this particularly warrior care or any other treatment that's providing those gold standards of care, it can be done safely. There's evidence to support it and you're not doing it alone. This is not something folks should do alone. The support is there and they've earned it. No, absolutely. I 100% agree. Again, have been a a fan for many years of the Warrior Care Network and what Wounded Warrior Project is doing. If people wanted to find out more about the Warrior Care Network, maybe some of the programs, the work that's being done at Emory and Rush, the Road Home Program. And so if people wanted to find out more about the Warrior Care Network, how can they do that? I would absolutely encourage individuals to check out our website, at woundedwarriorproject.org. That will lead to an overview of all of our programs and services and will, you know, give kind of an overview of our four partners. As you mentioned, we've got the Road Home Program at Rush and we've got Home Base at Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston. We have Operation Mend at UCLA in Los Angeles and then Emory in Atlanta. And that help truly is one phone call away. And we take it from there. And I should, I I think folks know, but I'll say it anyways, that all of Wounded Warrior Project's programs and services come at no cost to veterans or their families to include two weeks of intensive outpatient mental and brain health care. We're really looking to provide this resource. We know it works and we want to help. Absolutely. And we want to get your message out there as much as we can. Dr. Fletcher, thank you so much for coming on the show today. This was wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. Once again, we would like to thank this week's sponsor, Psych Arbor. 
Sitecomer is the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military culture content. Sitecomer offers an online e-learning laboratory that is free to individual learners as well as custom training options for organizations. The first point that I'd like to make is that suicide is preventable. If there's any one thing to know about suicide, that is the first and most important. It's not inevitable, and it's not something that requires a specialized degree, as Aaron said. It's something that anyone can do. It's an emergency intervention, and it can be difficult, just as it takes effort to overcome resistance to run into a burning building or help people that have just been in an accident. It also takes effort to overcome resistance to reach out and talk to someone about suicide if you think they're not doing well. And you don't have to be the hero for everyone. Uncertainty about what to do may keep us from responding to an emergency for someone we don't know. But if that were a family member or close friend in that burning building or wrecked car, much easier to overcome any resistance. And I'm not just saying that suicide is preventable because I'm a mental health counselor. I know it to be true from lived experience. I've personally stepped in and intervened when someone was in a suicidal crisis and helped them get the care that they needed. And many of these times happened before I was a therapist or was trained in any clinical interventions. Many times, it was as simple as, and as difficult as, what Aaron described. Knowing the signs, having the willingness and the ability to ask directly if somebody is thinking about killing themselves, and then knowing the resources to share or be able to help them find someplace safe. As I often said to attendees of the suicide prevention workshops I've hosted, as service members and veterans, courage is what we do. We would run into a firefight to save a battle buddy. We'd take a bullet for them. But do we have enough courage to ask if they're thinking about taking their own life? That's a key component. And once we overcome the resistance to talking about it, then the real work of prevention can begin. The other point that I'd like to make is related to this. Not everyone is in crisis all the time. So when we say that suicide is preventable, we don't just mean that it's preventable when someone is in an active suicidal crisis. It is preventable then, yes. And it's also preventable before it gets to the point of crisis. Going back to the burning building metaphor, you can prevent a loved one from dying in a fire by running into the burning building and saving them, but you can also prevent a loved one from dying in a fire by helping them learn not to fall asleep with candles burning or to make sure that they live in a house that doesn't have faulty wiring. When it comes to suicide prevention, people can get support at the lowest level necessary as early as possible. And as we discussed in the conversation, that's something that Wounded Warrior Project does well. If you or someone you know is experiencing some sort of distress related to something going on in your life, find a local support group, club, or organization to connect to. Maybe that's all that's needed, getting out and connecting with like-minded people that share the same interests. If you still find yourself in distress, then reach out for some peer support, some one-on-one -on -one engagement, like the Wounded Warrior Project talk program. If that brings up more stuff for you, then maybe you can connect with a local therapist. There's nothing wrong with it. If you had a broken leg, you wouldn't hesitate to go to a doctor. If you and your therapist find that more is needed, perhaps you add different things into the mix, a combination of therapy, support groups, and peer support. And then if things are still not going the way that you want them to, then maybe an intensive program like the Warrior Care Network two-week programs that Aaron described in the conversation. Every single one of those steps is suicide prevention in that it is preventing a suicidal crisis from happening. Accessing the lowest level of mental health and wellness care at the earliest possible time is what makes it so much easier to prevent. If we wait until someone is in a moment of crisis, then they need the highest level of care immediately. And that's something that we'd like to avoid if possible. So hopefully you found this conversation beneficial. Both Aaron and I know how challenging this subject can be, but also how important, especially for those of us who served and those who support them. If you appreciated my conversation with Dr. Fletcher, 
let us know. Pop a review in your podcast player of choice or send us an email at info at We would appreciate knowing that you're listening, what you think, and what you would like to hear about in future episodes. For this week's Psych Armor Resource of the Week, I'd like to share the link to the Psych Armor Brain Health and Wellness Learning Series on Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a global public health problem. Every 12 minutes, someone in the United States dies by suicide. For veterans, this crisis is an academic. Wounded Warrior Project is committed to addressing this issue by spreading awareness and providing access to life-saving tools that anyone can use to help someone in their time of need. This series removes the stigma often attached to suicide and casts a light on the unique risks and cultural factors that contribute to suicide in the veteran population. You'll gain access to important statistics, tools, and resources proven to prevent suicide, in addition to role-play scenarios that demonstrate effective responses to someone in need. You never know when you'll be called to intervene at a critical moment, and we thank you for being an important part of the solution. You can find a link to the resource in our show notes. So thanks for taking the time to listen to this episode. Make sure to take a look at the show notes, which you can find at the podcast app, as well as on psychomer.org forward slash podcast. While you're there, you can find hundreds of online training videos delivered by nationally recognized subject matter experts who are committed to educating the civilian community about military culture. All of these courses are free to individual learners. You wouldn't be listening if you didn't care, and it's that curiosity and passion for supporting service members and their families that we want to encourage and increase. Come back each week for another conversation, and make sure to engage with Psychummer on social media and let us know what you think about the show. I'd like to express special thanks to Operation Encore and Navy Seahawk pilot Jerry Maniscalco for our theme song, Don't Kill the Messenger. Much appreciation to the team at Psychummer that makes this show happen. Carol Turner, Vice President of Strategic Communications, who keeps me on track and is an outstanding guest coordinator, and Emma Atherall, who provides valuable coordination and support. This show was produced by Headspace and Timing, and all rights to the show remain reserved by Psych Armor. Feel free to share the show. In fact, we request that you do, but make sure to let folks know where you heard it. Join us next time for another great episode, and until then, stay aware, get educated, and be well.